0: The best sales reps in the world, they put enormous amount of emphasis on the quality of the relationship they have, even if they've just met somebody for the first time and they only have a few seconds. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three,
1: two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about communication and how to do it effectively, which considering the quick shift to digital we've all experienced lately is even more important than it was before. This is the art of connection, the science of communicating effectively. And the beautiful thing is most people have room for improvement, myself included. To help us, we have with us Dr. Ethan Becker, bestselling author of Mastering Communication at Work and president of the Speech Improvement Company. Ethan, thank you for taking time and welcome to
0: the show. Hey, Chad. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
1: Excellent. So before we jump in, we always start with kind of a random question, just so people get to know you a little bit better. And due to the current circumstances, I've been able to switch it up. So always curious to understand, everybody's got more time working from home these days, typically. And so I was curious if you had a passion, a hobby or something that the extra time at home has allowed you to re-engage with or dive deeper into what that might be.
0: (laughs) You know, as a speech coach, I've, I've decided I'm not going to go back to school anymore. You know, I have two doctors already, so I'm like, I'm all done with that. But to keep the brain going, this is a big buildup because you might laugh, but I've decided as a hobby to pick up computer programming and Swift programming language with Apple, which is a lot of fun. So I've been making apps, like, just for fun, not for sale, just like for making apps for around the house. Like, you know, just <laughs> having a lot of fun with the kids. Oh, that's great. So that's been fun. Yeah. It has nothing to do with my job, but I've enjoyed it. <laughs>
1: Well, and that's the thing, right? We have to, I I think everybody has to find a way to make sure there's still that divide and it gets harder when you're working from home all the time. I've I've been virtual for a very long time, but I know a lot of people struggle with that. So having that divide is great. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's start with the art of communication. So it's something that I've found through the years people struggle with, especially if they have to do, you know, a keynote or up in front of people and that light hits them and they freeze or they're stage fright, but even in just one-to-one communication. And I'd love to get your perspective on why you think it's such a challenge for people to communicate effectively
0: well there, there's actually well, more than even what I think there's actually a lot of research on this our team studies this topic on a regular basis we've all went to school for it and we discuss it all the time there's a lot of evidence that helps contribute to why it's hard for people and it starts usually at a very young age around the ages of one or two years old when we begin when we are first introduced to to the concepts of communication. I mean, it's whether we want it or not, they're there. It's a part of the human experience. But in speech communication, that starts very young by modeling from parents and so forth. But we are influenced by our parents, by school, by television. All of these things contribute. And so it's the concoction of that and the experiences, the scaffolding of our experiences through our life that can contribute to why we some people are good at communicating and others are not. But with that, you know, it is a skill, it's a behavior. So even if you're not very good at it today, you can become good at it. Just like, you know, if you've never thrown a ball before, you can learn to throw a ball if you want to.
1: So it just takes, it takes, right. well, there's the will portion, like, do you yeah. want to invest the time in it? And so in some of the materials that we had in advance, there's mention of growing a golden tongue. So is that what you mean by <laughs> working on it? And then how would somebody even go about that?
0: Yeah, that's a fun phraseology that popped up in one of our conversations one day when a lot of the work we do, we work with sales organizations and people in the sales world. So golden golden tongue was related to that because it's not easy there are some folks who get into selling because they are already our natural good communicators and others just because they like the idea of the commission or money <laughs> or whatever it is <laughs> yeah. so they got to learn those skills on how to communicate and the golden tongue it's not about really good selling is not about trickery it's not like in the 1950s or the the stereotype of the sleazy salesperson it's not about that at all right. the best of the best that we work with simply are comfortable with effective communication skills. And they study often, they practice often, and they like it. They like doing that. And so that's, that's where that comes from. You build up that skill.
1: It's really the will to have, it's the will to put in the effort to develop the mastery yes. of communication. And so there's the there's the will portion. There's the, am I willing to do the practice? And then in an application sense, so just to communicate with somebody who's open to being communicated with is, is one thing. How do I get effective at, at that? But what about when you're dealing with opposite personalities? Like I'm definitely type A squared, extrovert interface, mm-hmm. and, and oftentimes I'm working with people that are more introverted, reserved, pullback, maybe it's polar opposites. And so if we're coaching or selling or presenting, and there's people that are, that have these opposite personalities, how, how do we adjust our approach, our style, all of it, or should we?
0: Well, there, there are a lot of ways of viewing that particular dilemma. There's one that, that comes to mind. We, we study Aristotle in the, in the world of speech communication. And one of the things Aristotle was trying to figure out was how people think and reason and process and he really did figure it out. It's pretty cool that it still applies today over 2,000 years later. But he figured that people tend to think in either an inductive pattern or a deductive pattern of reasoning. So if you're trying to make a connection with someone, you would do well to match that pattern. Now, what does that mean? Now, some, of, some of your listeners may have heard these terms or spent a long time. But If I'm an inductive thinker, that's just who I am. I'm just an inductive kind of a guy. What that means is that I need to have all of the background information and the details first, then tell me what you want, then tell me the price, then tell me where you're going, right? And I need it that way because that's how I think and process. The deductive thinker is the opposite. They need the point right up front, right in the beginning, then tell me the background details and information. And this is a really, really important and critical skill to develop in particular in selling. Because when these two people meet each other, look out. (laughs) There is a level of frustration that just tears the communication apart. I mean, if I'm a deductive thinker, I want the point right up front and an inductive thinker comes to talk to me, I, you can't see me, but I, if you could, you'd see me rolling my eyes and I'd be sounding like this. Uh-huh, yeah, 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 uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. What? Get to the point, right? And I get so frustrated, which means I'm sending messages to this person that I don't care, I don't respect them. Now, that may not be true, but that is the message I'm sending. So I've got to become self-aware. And this is true if you're a sales manager and you're working with your team, you're presenting to senior management, or you're talking to potential customers. When you are able to match the way they process, you're going to do well. And this contradicts some of the maybe more traditional sales training of don't tell them the price until you've presented the value proposition, which is a great idea half the time. (laughs) <laughs> because if that person if your prospect just wants to know the price or the price range and you're doing the old well sir I'm not you got to hear the value first cuz I was told in my training class that I better you know almost like it was a game can I can I not tell them the price it's like, good luck right good luck. Now, that doesn't mean you just start with the price and so forth, but but there are strategies to say it in a deductive way if that is what they need. And it may take some practice because, you know, they've been trained the other way.
1: And so what's the easiest way to determine, are there cues or things that we could be looking for to determine what type of inductive or deductive individual we're talking to? Are there cues or something that, that the audience could start to pay attention to?
0: Yeah, if you look on the, if you look above the left eye of a, of a person on the forehead, there'll be an, a letter, an I or a D. No, I'm just, kidding. wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't <laughs> that, that would just be, be awesome? That would be, that would be amazing. <laughs> you know, look, it's not an exact science, but that's okay. That's okay. We, it's not like, uh-oh, I've screwed it up. I misread the person. We get into trouble when we completely ignore it. So how do you how do you answer? Okay, well you look at things like the way they are talking. You, you start out the, when you're starting the meeting, and it's like, oh hey, how's everything going? And if they say good, yeah, they're probably in a deductive state. If you say how's everything going, say like, well, I got to tell you, you know, we've been really coming a long way as a company. We've been everyone's at home, and they're maybe a little more inductive. You can listen, and we have whole day workshops on just <laughs> listening. If you you can listen, for example, how are questions asked and then answer in kind. I'll, let me give you an example, generic example. I'm just going to make this up. I don't, you're, I don't know what industry your listeners are, but let's pretend it's software. Okay? The customer says this. Well, you know, I, I have a question for you because the last company that we worked with, they had a software just like yours, it was similar. And we in, we we had them come in here and there was an issue with the software that wasn't working. And the person who runs human resources who brought us in, they were trying to fix it. And they're not even in the IT department, which is a whole issue because there's a lot of problems between IT and HR. And they, and they could, and the guy's going on and on. And eventually, uh, I says, so my question to you is, do you have support services or do you have some offering that we can pay for it to, to support us if there's a problem. All right, now timeout. And you hear that example. Which way do you think that was? Inductive or deductive? Inductive. Inductive, right. Now, a, a sales professional who does have those support services, they tend to get all excited <laughs> because the, the, the customer got one word in and they already know the answer is going to be positive. So they say, yes, deductive. Uh. They have now missed the opportunity to make a connection. What they should have said, they don't have to be as inductive as my example, but they should have said something like, you know, I got to tell you, that's helpful to hear because it's really important that there are some ways to support you. And I'm happy to tell you, yes, we do. Right. So we listen carefully about how things are asked, who asks them, and then you really don't want to go too far one way or the other. I was exaggerating on my example, Although some of, your, some of your listeners might be thinking, no, that's not an exaggeration, Ethan. That was yesterday's meeting. Just be comfortable. That's just how they process. And if you do that, you won't look frustrated. You'll make connections, whether it's in a virtual environment or live, this stuff is important. So these are some of the things uh, that certainly with making connections with people.
1: Excellent. So let's go a step deeper. We get all right. So we're we've put in the the effort to work on our communication. We've been trying to mirror understanding if we're dealing with deductive or inductive individuals. Now we have to get to the point of transforming beliefs to or rapidly increasing sales. Help me understand kind of what are those stages and, and how do we how do we transform or move someone else's beliefs effectively?
0: Well, it's, there's a lot in that question. Uh, so, but it, I can, you know, and for, for our conversation today, I, I would say one way of approaching that is by listening carefully and understanding what their beliefs actually are about maybe it's whether they believe you are the right company to provide them the service. Maybe they don't think you're large enough, or maybe they don't think you are going to be personalized enough for them, or they don't think your software can do it, right? Whatever, you gotta understand that. Where this comes into practical, maybe maybe your competitors were there the week before and they planted language, like they talked about features and you know this, right? Because you're at the meeting and they say, do you have the such and such? And you're immediately like, oh, those jerks. (laughs) (laughs) So you gotta understand where they're coming from first. Second, you gotta validate that in some form. And I don't mean in a nerdy way saying like, I validate your beliefs. It's like, but you got to maybe talk about it, be okay with it. Once the validation, if it was effective at validating, once that's happened, you can redirect in any direction you want because they are now open-minded to hearing you. At the Speech Improvement Company, we study a lot of the different selling methodologies that are out there, whether it's like Spin or Sandler or challenger which is new but it's not really actually new but you look at these there's a lot of listening in there and there's a lot of confirming maybe paraphrasing or just having the conversation with people about it and you can do that but what are you trying to do validate that you understand they have to believe that you actually get where they're coming from right yeah it's that alignment then you can bring them making sure that they know that they've been heard yeah and just saying yeah i understand what you're saying but fail right fail because that doesn't, that doesn't effectively validate. And there's no one way to validate. A lot of times, like for instance, what we do when we're doing training, sales training workshops, or if your listeners are just working with, them, with yourselves, when you're practicing mock sales conversations and mock presentations, record yourself and watch out for your own tone of voice and facial expressions where you are saying words that are validating, but your tone is saying, <laughs> I don't believe what I'm even saying. Right.
1: So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So are there words like, so there's one word that I've always tried to stay away from and it's that, and everybody has a tendency to use it, but it's that word, but Right. Mm-hmm. for me, it has a tendency to invalidate anything that came before anything that I said was BS. At least that's the impression I get. Right. So are there other words or phrases or things that maybe not to be avoided, but to be aware of the impact that they create on a listener?
0: Well, that's a, that's a really smart observation. There are common words like no and but, but is what we would refer to to in speech comm as an erasure word. Now, there's a time and a place it's totally fine and comfortable to use, no big deal. And then there's a time where it erases, as you said, the validator. If I were to say to you, hey, you know, you know your hair looks really good today, but something not good is coming. Right? right now, And I don't even need to say the word. You can hear it in my tone. Yeah, you know, your hair looks good today. It's like, you know, it's coming. So it's a tone. Allow yourself to, if you're going to validate, do it well. No is another one. And there are other ways to do it. All right, example, a cu- customer asks a sales rep, is your tech, uh, <laughs> this is a real one, is your technical support offerings, are, are they free? <laughs> and, a, and When they're not, <laughs> the sales rep wants to say, no, they're not. So you might find another way of indicating it. You might say something like, you know, it's a very direct question. So I'm making this up sure. off the top of my head. So it's hard to say, it's, I just tripped myself up. But no, but this is why we practice it, right? <laughs> Okay, are your tech support things free? The services we offer do have some fees that are matched up with the service that you have or something like that. Or we we do have services that you can purchase. But are they actually free? Well, they are ones that you can purchase. So they're not free. They are purchasable, purchaseable, right? No, I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of being obnoxious with it, right. here making it up. And here's, what, here's the difference between me making it up and how it can become very smooth and authentic in real life. During practice, we figure out what are the actual words here? And it's not like the word no is like evil. It's just, it tends to be, and it depends by the way on the relationship. Sure. There are some relationships where, you know what gets me the sale when they say, is this free? And I say, no. And they say, thank you, Alba, <laughs> because they appreciate the authenticity of our relationship. Right. So it's not like any of one of these things are one thing by itself and a very good relationship. And the, I'll tell you, the best sales reps in the world, they put enormous amount of emphasis on the quality of the relationship they have. Even if they've just met somebody for the first time and they only have a few seconds. And that relationship can help you determine whether or not you should be worried about but or no. And then one other quick thought on this about word choice is as you are getting to know the prospect, you are listening very carefully for loaded language, how they use terminology, how they use the word. Are they using it with an attitude? Can you tell that when they talk about networking, is that a bad word in their world? And then be sensitive to that stuff. You can tie into that, you're going to do very, very well. This is why we've, we weren't totally on board with the whole challenger concept of the relationship is in the past and dead. It's like, I don't think so. Right. <laughs> don't, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you may only have a brief one, but, but you got to pay close attention. To
1: right. That. Relationship is, is a very fragile thing. And I'm a big proponent of the authenticity of it. And so when, when people engage yeah. with your book or, or work with you, are there, are there, Things they can do to develop, like practices they can do to help them develop their confidence without making them all sound robotic? Could you give it like, I don't know, I don't know how else to ask that question. Sorry, that's, kind of- <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, let, let's dive into that a little bit.
0: If you think about, and for, I'm throwing out a lot of like terms and buzzwords and stuff, but if you think about spin when it came out in the 1970s, you know, the, one of the challenges that we saw were that teams were learning spin, right? And they, they came up with these scripts <laughs> yep. of asking questions and it just didn't work. It just, and, and meant for certain teams, not the concept of spin. I mean, all of these, all of these sort of methodologies are really just folks looking at great salespeople and trying to write down what they did. Right. So the concept of spin was great, getting to understand the situation and the problem and stuff like that. How you get there is going to be unique to the industry, to the product, to the sales team, to the individual on the sales team. So. As you ask, what can a sales team do to get better at this and not sound robotic? Practice and practice. So maybe you start with, okay, I understand if you have 2000 people on your team, I get it. You need to have certain scripts to guide the training, but then what you want to do is ripple down. Well, you can always hire firms like us. We can come in and do this, but even just internally, if you don't have the budget for that, you, you got to practice. How do you convert this question into your own style of communication? And there are some wonderful tools and techniques that can help folks to do that. I really don't think you can automate it. You can try, but but then you'll end up with a lot of folks who literally are just reading, right. the and then
1: it's then it doesn't come off authentic. It doesn't connect. I can tell when somebody like when I'm talking to somebody and they're using a script, I can instantly tell, and it and it just I shut down. I literally will stop listening because yeah. because I don't. Ugh. Yeah, Within I mean, it's it, it almost. Before I'm even aware of it, I've stopped listening,
0: right? You know, it's really funny. We, so our, our business, this is a family business, right? I was born into it. My parents founded it in 1964. And growing up at the dinner table, when we would get telemarketing calls come in, my mother, she'd take the call, and it was like nine out of 10 times, she would turn it around and sell the caller <laughs> on, on our services to help them get better and making these that's calls great. and it was so funny like it was a game at the dinner table like the phone would ring we'd all laugh just because you know the phone's ringing at dinner time. it's a telemarketer we'd all laugh and be like go mom go <laughs> it was so funny like within minutes she's on with the manager the next thing you know they're writing a proposal for the company to say we're gonna come train your whole team on how to not sound like you're on that's a script great. Really that's funny. great
1: so let's talk about the virtual environment now for a second right because Because it's changed. I mean, there was always some element of virtual before, but now it, it is predominantly and not sure how fast it'll go back the other way. What are some of the challenges from a communication standpoint that you're seeing people struggle with in that virtual environment?
0: A couple of things stand out. One is on the very personal level, the actual person doing the talking, the sales rep who is working from home. One of the challenges is, in their own mind, there is a term in psychology known as cognitive dissonance—the the idea of competing ideas in the mind. And so here I am—I'm a sales rep. Maybe I'm at work. I'm at—I'm at home, but I'm zoomed in, or called in, or go-to meeting into a meeting while I'm sitting at home and in the back of my mind, I can hear the kids arguing in the other room and I need to go break it up. I know it's about to escalate, but no, I'm here, I'm a professional, I'm in front of my boss or or a customer and I'm trying to be the professional that I know I can be in this home environment and it's not easy. I think anybody that tells you, just do this, they're making it up. I mean, maybe, but like, you know, all of the blogs that are out there on this stuff, every, there's no research on this stuff. so. That's one issue that's very real, is this whole dealing with the stress. Because if I'm trying to sell and be articulate, it's hard for me to sometimes focus. So there, but there are things that you can do. There are some things that can help. That's one. The other one related to that would be screen fatigue, that both the seller and the buyer, both, by the way, both experience cognitive dissonance, but both are experiencing high levels of screen fatigue. And people are excited and appreciating the efficiency of, I can go to meetings without having to walk anywhere. But now we're feeling the byproduct, which is there are no breaks. And sometimes those small 10-second breaks, walking to the bathroom or wherever it is, to one meeting to the next, or driving, a lot of reps live in their cars, and now they're living in their living room. (laughs) That's really stressful. If I'm used to operating alone, parked alone in my car, getting my game face on, if you will, yeah. preparing to go into a cell. But now that's gone. I'm at home and I, two seconds before my meeting, got in an argument with my spouse right. or the kids or something, right? That's real. That is, that, and that affects our psychology and our ability to talk So it may be a little different than what you were looking at, but it starts there.
1: No, I think that's great. I think it's great because I think people have a tendency to forget the contextual elements of it, right? And that's one that I haven't heard. I mean, I've thought of and talked to other coworkers about, but haven't seen discussed a lot, which is the impact on your psychology from, I mean, even having people walking past your office door or starting the washer and dryer, yes. or you hear them yelling downstairs or whatever, it just has an impact that that kind of jars right. you out of that focus on being present, connected, and consistently clear in communication.
0: That's right. And even the people who were working from home before covid but maybe they were home alone. Yeah, Yeah. Or, or, you know what? They've had a lot of time to get set up for that. So they've learned the skill to do it. But even many of those people, they're no longer alone, so the distractions are there. And this affects your ability in some cases to be able to, not everybody, but it does affect for many people the ability to focus in to be able to listen. Is my customer getting bored? Am I trapped in the script of the demo and I need to stop? Like this is where we just forget COVID just in general when we bore customers because I'm I'm doing the pre-made marketing presentation and they fell asleep five minutes ago. (laughs) It's like (laughs) the best sales reps will recognize that and just stop. And then they will go battle internally at the company politically and say, look, can we make some adjustments to this presentation because it's not working right? That stuff's not there because the distractions are not there. And then people sound a little more robotic. Right. So that's one piece. And then the flip side would be the customers that they also are in the same situation. Right. And it's like, they forgot. It's like, ah, oh, crap. I forgot I told this guy I'd meet with him. <laughs> you know? And it's like, yeah. so what can you do? Okay, relationships matter. Can you be authentic? And yes, okay. So it's over said to say, how are you doing in the crisis? But it's some human connection. Right. Maybe here's a, here's a very scary question for a sales rep to ask talk about fear. Here's a scary question to ask. You get on with the customer, you finally got the meeting, you start out and you ask this question. Hey, is this still an okay time for us? I mean, are you in the right state of mind or is it something you'd like to maybe reschedule? Where's your head at? Right. Why, why do you think most sales reps don't want to ask that question?
1: Well, they don't want to push the media. They, they're afraid they're pushing the sale out. They're, pushing, yeah. they're concerned about them. But it's a, it's yeah. an excellent question to ask, especially, yeah. especially given everything that's going on today.
0: Most people will say, let's do it. And those who don't, you know what? You just built up some cred in their right. mind for not, you're the one that they will take the call next time. Yeah. As opposed to the guy that's just like, oh, not this guy again.
1: Right. Absolutely. All right. So tell us a little bit more about the Speech Improvement Company, what you you do, companies you work with. Sure. Give the audience some, some introduction.
0: We are a boutique shop out of Massachusetts. We've been in business for 56 years. There's about 20 of us spread around the world. And we've studied speech communication, all of us at the graduate level or beyond. And then what we do as speech coaches is we travel around the world And well, not right now we don't, but normally (laughs) we do. We live on airplanes, really, we're like always traveling. And then we work with different leaders of countries, leaders of companies, people, anybody who has to talk as a part of what they do, we help them to become number one, comfortable with this whole business of talking. And then two is to be good at it whatever that it happens to be. So if that's a formal presentation or giving feedback, whatever that is, selling as you might imagine we do a tremendous amount of work with people in sales and management and leadership and we do it through group training and we do it through private coaching. So at a high level that's what we do. I interestingly, this is unexpected with the COVID stuff. We've because there's no travel, our whole team globally has been engaged with doing what we call just-in-time coaching. Uh, This came by accident by one of our clients, and we've found that others have found it valuable, where this whole issue of people being all distracted right before their call, they can send an email to the company, get one of the coaches on the line, and in like 30 minutes, the coach is basically getting their head in the game, helping them cleanse the palate, if you will, the survey of between your fact that you're at home and what you just dealt with and the fact that you need to be a professional now and on your game so that's been a cool new service that we just started doing that's
1: great it creates opportunity for reinvention at times right we've done the same yeah i i've had to i tell people you know last year i had 167,000 air miles traveling around training sales teams (laughs) and 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 now now i haven't left the house since march which is the longest i've probably been in one place getting a little weird but we pivoted to virtual and and if you do it right we you know we took the opportunity to find ways to make it engaging and break it up and and do all those things you still see the results and that's it's awesome to to see people take that opportunity. So congratulations on on expanding out the services. Yeah, thanks. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions at the end of each interview. First is simply as a president of a company, that makes you a prospect for a lot of sales professionals. And I'm always curious to know if somebody doesn't have a trusted referral or introduction to you, what works best for you if somebody's trying to capture your attention uh, and earn the right to some time on your calendar to have a conversation?
0: For me, it would be a deductive approach during the cold call. Just be real straight with me about, hey, look, this is what we're looking for and what, what you might want from what you might want to sell me. That's helpful because then it gives me the state of mind to say one of two things have happened will happen, either I'm interested and I continue, or I'm not, but I respect you. And that maybe in the future when I am interested in you, I'm definitely going to take your call. But if, if you force me to if you if you launch into the value proposition leading up to it snoozer yeah. not only am i snoozing i'm, I'm probably just gonna stop you <laughs> not to be a mean not to be mean about it right but it's like nobody wants to hear that if if they're not in the right state of mind
1: yeah absolutely just be
0: deductive that's all you can practice that yeah practice that.
1: i love it. it's hard it's hard, but it is, it's, it is more, and I agree with you 100%. It's more respectful for the individual you're calling. Like, Hey, look, this is what we're doing yeah. instead of trying to you know, play some games. All right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services, people, one piece of advice that you could give them that you believe would help them hit their targets or exceed them, what would it be and why?
0: Well, I would, I would say try to develop the skill of listening from the other person's point of view. If you can get yourself into the way that they are listening, how are they receiving the information? That will help you as a communicator more effectively tailor your communication to get through. So they actually hear and understand and receive the value proposition message.
1: Love it. All right. If a listener's interested in talking more about the topics that we touched on today or want more information, where, where do you want us to send them? Do you want us to go to your website? to you on LinkedIn? What, what's the most effective place?
0: All right. There you can go. I got a few places that'll work. The website, speechimprovement.com. Easy to remember. Speech Improvement. or speech coaches. And then you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Dr. Ethan Becker on LinkedIn, And I'm just thinking, there is a, um, for those who like this stuff, there's my book. It's called Mastering Communication at Work, How to Lead, Manage, and Influence. Chapter one is all about inductive, deductive. But there's a lot in there that it's an international bestseller written by myself and John Wortman, published by McGraw-Hill. You can buy it anywhere. You can buy a book. And lastly is there's an app that we developed last year, part of my hobby on the side. (laughs) This is a free app. It's just something, we call it Speech Companion. Speech Companion is what you search for. It only works on Apple right now. Maybe in the future one day, next COVID, I will figure it out. But no, actually, I'm just kidding. We, we, we developed this one year ago. We put it on the App Store. It's really cool. And it's we div, we designed it as just a free download for folks who have been either reading our books or engaged in our programs as a supplement just to sort of help you out with some of these ideas like inductive-deductive practice techniques and podcasts and books to read and stuff like that. So if you like this kind of thing, you can download that or just find me on LinkedIn. Or, oh, most importantly, bring me in, hire myself, my firm. We'll come in and train your whole team and you, and we're really good at it. So, uh. <laughs>
1: excellent. All right, Ethan, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It's been great having you on the show today.
0: All right, thanks for having me.
1: All right, everybody. That does it for this episode. You know the drill. B2BRevExec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. Until next time, we wish you nothing but the greatest success.
0: You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience.